As we continue our series this evening in 1 John, we turn to 1 John chapter 3, where we begin reading at verse 18, and we'll read into the fourth chapter. First John 3, beginning at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So far we read God's inspired word this evening. The text that we consider is 1 John 4 verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. As we turn to the fourth chapter of John's first epistle, we're called to remember that John continues to write under that broad theme of living in God's fellowship, with the apostles' desire being that your joy may be full. I would call your attention to the fact that this fourth chapter begins with the address, Beloved. That term is deeply expressive of the pastor's love for the family of God, the members of Christ's church to whom he writes, but it's also the recognition of an amazing doctrinal truth. It's the recognition of the fact that the church 
even when troubled and under attack, is Christ's beloved bride. The Bible always looks at the church organically, viewing it as Christ's church. Even though in any congregation, in any manifestation of that bride, there might be those who do not belong, who are hypocrites, who are not part of the spiritual body, of Christ, but only leeches on that body. The church, we must remember, is not defined by its unfruitful members any more than a tree is defined by its dead branches. So we must not overlook that address, beloved, as defining the church for how we must view her the precious bride of Christ. We are to love her well. The immediate context of the last verse of 1 John 3 he called our attention to the truth that our knowledge of our covenant fellowship with Jesus Christ, with God in Jesus Christ, is by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now we've seen that truth many times in the New Testament. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God, but let's not forget that testimony is inseparably bound to the Word of God. That's the God-appointed means by which the Holy Spirit testifies to us. And for that reason, however, our adversary, the devil, constantly attempts to overthrow or undermine that gospel proclamation. It's in that connection that the inspired apostle addresses the admonition to us today. The fact that we face repeated warnings in the New Testament about the rise of false teachers and increasing attacks upon the church in the last hour of this present age only serves to bring emphasis to this text. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets are, are gone out into the world. 1 John 4 verse 1 calls us to be discerning Christians. We're constantly confronted with all kinds of teachings. Some stand in blatant opposition to the Word of God and the Christian faith. But often those spirits that confront us, to use the term in our text, are those who very subtly undermine the authority of the Word that comes from God himself. So we must not be gullible. How then are we to determine what is right? The answer is found in the words of the text. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So let's give our attention to the word of God here 
this evening under the theme, The Calling to Try the Spirit. We consider, first of all, the importance of that calling. Secondly, the standard by which we are to try them. And finally, the calling that belongs to all of us. The calling given in this text is tremendously important. Repeatedly, Scripture calls us to spiritual watchfulness and warns us against being swept along by the philosophies of the world and the unfruitful works of darkness. That repeated emphasis in Scripture indicates that all too often the people of God are found sorely lacking in the spiritual exercise of discernment. And the examples and the many admonitions in Scripture pertaining to this subject shows that we are inclined to spiritual laziness and lethargy. And when we consider the the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, as a, a full picture of the church as she exists at any given time in the history of the world, then this truth becomes evident too. Until finally you stand before the picture of the church at Laodicea, who is lukewarm toward the truth and unable even to discern her own emptiness and need for Christ. That serves to show us where spiritual laziness leads. That there is a tremendous and appalling indifference in our day to sound doctrine is evident the various errors that have swept through the church community, if we just look at recent decades, indicates that the vast majority in the nominally Christian church of our day are simply unconcerned and uninterested in sound doctrine, the truth of God's Word. What's the place of the Word of God in our own life? Let's look at ourselves a moment as we must do when we stand before the Word of God, this Word of God in particular. We mustn't deny the fact that we also are inclined to be spiritually lazy. And examples could be multiplied to demonstrate that fact. Perhaps a careless attitude toward God and His truth and its application to our daily lives comes from our close ties to the world. Let's not forget how the Apostle warned us in chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We need that warning because we tend to be a very worldly-minded people. And worldliness stifles godliness. Perhaps our spiritual laziness arises what might otherwise be a commendable loyalty. A loyalty to our own churches. 
But do we take the enemies all out there attitude and fail to recognize Satan's intense attacks upon our own hearts? Then we might easily neglect the calling that's set before us in Acts 17, verse 11, with the example of the Christians at Berea who searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things preached by the Apostle Paul were true. I know it's difficult to see blessings in the controversy that has troubled our churches and the schism. But one of the blessings in the troubles of the past few years is that many of you have been driven to a deeper study of the scriptures and of our reformed confession, which set forth the truth of the word of God. To our shame, perhaps that's what it took to stir us up spiritually. But that also indicates how spiritually lethargic we tend to be. And then let's also understand spiritual lethargy is rooted in pride. That's a grave danger to us. And it is such a danger because the devil not only attacks the church with spirits of false doctrine, but he attacks the church just as vigorously with spirits of worldliness and disobedience to God's truth, spirits of a lifestyle that does not conform with the confession of submitting to the Lordship of Christ. So the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, about those who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And says, from such turn away. So we must examine ourselves. And we must root out any dead orthodoxy in our midst. We have to war against any pharisaical attitudes. And we have to preach that there's more to Christianity than mere head knowledge. But at the same time, we have to hold forth the importance of the truth of God's word. The necessity of trying the spirits is clear not only throughout the Bible, but also in our own experience. Christ's church is always under attack by the evil one. And those attacks have been our own experience especially in the past few years as we've had to face doctrinal error within and as we've had to confront certain false teachings and behaviors contrary to God's word among those who so intensely attacked us. Satan attacks us, always attempting to rob us of the beauty and the balance of the gospel truth to wreck our Christian testimony and witness of that truth, and to destroy our peace and joy. In the context here of 1 John, 
error either in doctrine or life is destructive of the enjoyment of our fellowship with God. And fellowship is the apostle's chief concern. To put it in terms of of that truth that we as churches hold so dear, John's fervent desire is that those to whom he writes know God's covenant. Not merely doctrinally, but as a matter of their own experience. They must know the fellowship of God's love, that blessed relationship that is ours with the triune God in Jesus Christ, and which is reflected in the fellowship that we have with one another as members of the same family of God. The spirit of error, as John refers to it in verse 6, militates against our enjoyment of that fellowship. That's why it's important to try the spirits. Critically important. But the importance of this calling to be discerning Christians is especially emphasized by the language of the text. Try the spirits. Who are those spirits to which John refers? Because the text also refers to false prophets, it's common to look at that word spirits as a figure of speech referring to false prophets. But I look at that term not as referring so much to teachers, but to their teachings. So that spirits are those influences which would move us one way or another. The idea is that of which we read in Ephesians 4 verse 16, with its reference to being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Now you might remember that the word spirit means breath or wind. In Ephesians 4 verse 16, however, the term used is not the term spirit as used in 1 John 4 verse 1, but a word that refers to a violent wind that brings Great upheaval. The word spirit used in our text does not refer to such a violent wind, but one which is measured, what we might refer to as a gentle breeze. Whereas Ephesians 4 verse 16 warns of the tremendously destructive effects of false doctrine, John speaks here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of the subtle way in which error works. The influences of those spirits are often very measured, often seemingly insignificant rather than the tempestuous winds of a major storm, these are the gentle breezes of certain teachings or perspectives that would influence us. And such perspectives might indeed belong to the spirit of truth, 
as John refers to it in verse 6, but they might also belong to the spirit of error. And exactly because of the danger of those spirits of error, we are called to try the spirits to be discerning Christians. False teachings can appear in many different forms. There are those who blatantly reject the authority of the Word of God and the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. The Apostle speaks of those who deny God's Messiah, deny that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. That is, they deny God's Christ. They make of him something he is not. They deny who he is and what he has done. And by their teachings, they entangle men's minds in delusion and error, making them see Jesus as a mere man, a wise teacher, but not powerful to save. Making them see a Jesus who loves everybody, wants everybody to be saved, but is powerless to do so. But there are many other influences brought by these spirits of error. There are those who corrupt the word of God. By some, the teachings of Scripture are watered down or denied. The clear historical account of creation would be uh, an example of a truth denied widely today. The worldwide and world-changing flood of Genesis 6 through 9 is made a mythological story or a local flood with the biblical record merely exaggerating its scope. Others water down or deny the doctrines of God's word, what he has revealed concerning himself and his works. God is love. So importing their own understanding to that concept, not searching that concept in the light of the scriptures, many teach he loves everybody. James 1 teaches us that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So that's appealed to in a denial of God's absolute sovereignty over evil or, or events that we consider evil. Others downplay the existence of sin upon the human race, denying the biblical doctrine of total depravity and teaching as the Pelagians of old did that every person's good at heart. Others might speak of total depravity, but give it an entirely different meaning than that is given in Holy Scripture and our Reformed Confession. So there can be also a redefinition of terms that brings confusion to the church. In John's day, and that was very much the Apostle Paul's experience as well, 1 Timothy 4, for example, there were those given over to the doctrines of devils that would tell lies and distort the truth in order to deceive people to follow them. 
They had the knowledge to be able to teach people a whole different perspective from that they had been taught. But that which is portrayed as true knowledge was, in fact, a distortion of the word of truth. Still others reject the life of the antithesis, showing little regard for the application of biblical truth to their daily life and walk. Some can easily shrug off the rebukes and admonitions of the word of God and by their rebellion against God's word lead others astray. And then there are those spirits of error that add to the word of God. And these examples that I mention are are but a sample of Satan's attacks upon the church. You see, the great battle that the church faces is the battle between God's truth and the lies of the evil one. With all these spirits blowing their influences throughout, not only throughout our culture, but throughout the church world itself, it is necessary, critically important, to try the spirits. We have a calling to guard the treasure, and that means we have to know what we have as a treasure. Understanding then the importance of the calling and exactly what those spirits are that we are called to try. The second task is to point out the standard by which we are to try those spirits. To try the spirits means to test them. Now the word used is a word that speaks of the value of a precious metal being put to the test. So the picture is that of gold being tried by fire. What was thought to be gold was put to the fire to prove its worth. So we are called to put everything to the test. You don't want to carry around a worthless worthless stone in your pocket when you thought it was gold. But for that test, there's a certain standard to be met. What is being tested must either fall within the parameters of that standard or it must be rejected. Let's understand the standard then because if we're going to try the spirits, our standard has to be right. We may reject something simply because we've never done it that way. I think back to controversies years ago in the Reformed churches in our country over changing worship services to the English language from the Dutch or the German, or changing to individual communion cups from the common cup. There were people that left the church over those things. 
Just because certain practices or religious activities have not belonged to our custom does not necessarily make them wrong. Nor may appearances be the ground of accepting a certain teaching or practice. How often don't we hear of those who leave for churches that have departed from the truth, but there's so much love there? Well, let's examine ourselves then, and let's make improvements in the exercise of our love if that needs to be. But the one who would determine his church membership by something so superficial as outward appearance walks down a pathway that Satan would readily use to deceive. Make no mistake, false teaching can make people very happy. But if we're going to try the spirits by that which makes us feel good, we're going to be able to justify just about every cult and heresy that's ever been known to man. The perplexities and the questions that we face, the spirits that we observed, are not to be judged by the results of feelings or experience. There is one authoritative and sufficient standard of trying the spirits, and that is the inspired word of God, the Holy Scriptures. The authority and sufficiency of the Scriptures cannot be overemphasized in our day. The rejection of objective revelation the forfeiture of the Bible as the standard of truth has made of Christianity in our day little more than a plastic imitation of the Christianity of the Apostles' day. Truth is the supreme test of the Christian faith. Without the standard of God's truth, the authoritative scriptures, the possibilities of an imitation gospel are endless, seen in today's church world. So today, there's this new expression. You have to be woke. Proper English isn't even acceptable today. There has to be a new dictionary, a new vocabulary, a revision of history to the exclusion of the truth. The wave of tolerance has replaced objective truth for many today. That's fatal to the churches that succumb to that ideology. People don't want to discern today because they don't want to say, you're wrong. To say that makes people feel bad or become defensive. Beloved, 
we must be those who live out of the Scriptures. Also for the sake of our Christian witness. And I don't mean simply that we must know the five points of Calvinism and a few proof texts. That's a beginning. But don't forget, every heretic has his proof text. We have to know the truth of the Scriptures as an organic whole. We have to know the whole Bible. If we're not familiar with the truth, with the systematic teaching of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to be prey to the clever communication of those who isolate verses from their context and force texts to fit their own heresy. The Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 16, warns us of those who twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. We have to be those who do more than lip service to the Bible's authority and sufficiency. What the inspired Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, must be maintained in all its force and significance. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. By Scripture alone, we put the spirits to the test. And as Reformed Christians, who have seen the church summarize and systematize the truth of the Scriptures in our Reformed creeds, we do well to study and know our Reformed confession. The truth of the Word of God is the sole standard for trying the Spirit. That's what we emphasize to our catechism students. We stress to them, it isn't a fault to ask a question about what you're taught. But what you must do is put every teaching to the test of the Bible. We who teach the Reformed faith have, have nothing to fear when those, when those who question us try our teachings in the light of the Scripture. In our mission work, in our witness, we have to be able to labor in the confidence of holding forth Scripture as the sole authority and saying, go ahead, put what we teach to the ultimate test, right here. John writes in verse 6 of this chapter, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Put us to the test. Put every spirit to the test. Is this what the apostles taught? Is this the teaching of Scripture? 
you will find that the false prophet quickly tries to dismiss the plain teachings of the Scripture. Maybe the way the text is written, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mind you, does not fit the false prophet's new theology. So he has to reinterpret the text in a way that dismisses its plain teaching. He might dismiss the creation account on the basis of the teachings of science, falsely so-called. He might take verses out of their context and misinterpret them. The devil, that great deceiver, always does everything in his power to extinguish the light of the Scriptures, the clarity of the Scriptures. Positively, on the other hand, we may point to several distinguishing marks according to Scripture which reveal the work of the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth. In the first place, the work of the Spirit is always to exalt Christ. When he promised to send them the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, Jesus told his disciples, He shall testify of me. He shall testify of me. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit gives that testimony through the Scriptures, And so our Lord used that same expression in John 5, verse 39. Search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of me. John confirms the same truth in the next two verses of this chapter. 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. But even here we must understand that while anyone who claims a a portion of Christianity will lay claim to the name of Christ and will even confess the truth of Christ's incarnation. Not all confess Christ as he has revealed himself in the Scriptures. So again, we're turned back to the Bible for our evaluation. But the Spirit always leads God's people to Christ, in whom alone we have access to the Father. A second distinguishing mark of the Spirit of Truth is that the Spirit of Truth works holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. We must be sure that the Spirit that we believe and follow is the Spirit of Christ, who marks us a holy people unto the Lord. The spirit of error doesn't lead to holiness. False spirits do not promote godliness, devotion, and dedication to God and His truth. 
But Hebrews 12, verse 14 tells us that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. In verses 4 and 5 of 1 John 4, John compares the influences of two spirits, the true and the false. One is of God and overcomes the spirit of the world. The other is of the world and is obsessed, therefore, with the things of this world. Whatever makes us more and more conscious of sin, more spiritually sensitive, whatever increases our desire to serve God and to walk in His way is of the Spirit of Christ. Satan will not convict men of sin, nor move them to honor God in holiness. The spirit of error would deceive us and blind us and move us to indifference toward the things of God. And that's the terrible picture set before us, too, in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Finally, the spirit of truth is seen in another very practical way, as we find later in 1 John 4, verses 12 and 13. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. The contrast is this, verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Yes, there's indeed a counterfeit love not established upon God's truth that has no regard for God's holiness, a love that's rooted in self-interest and guided by a spirit of delusion, but love that places God and his honor first, and that therefore comes to expression toward those who are his, is the love of one who knows the amazing love wherewith God has loved us in Christ Jesus. When we were yet sinners. But these things, rising out of the standard of biblical truth, are some of the ways by which we are to try the spirits to see whether they are of God. Finally, let us understand this calling comes to all of us according to our capacity to discern the Word of God. It begins already as children. is pressed upon us with all the more urgency as as we come to a clearer understanding of God's word and truth. John writes to the church. He doesn't address only the office bearer. He doesn't speak as Paul did to Timothy and to Titus. 
ministers of the gospel, certainly this calling belongs to office bearers in particular. Not only must they try the spirits, but they must guide God's people in the way of being discerning Christians. But the calling to try the spirits is applied very broadly. Beloved, try the spirit. The the apostle addresses the whole church. All those loved of God have this calling. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Try the spirits, whether they are of God. We are subject to the same influences as the people to whom John wrote, perhaps in greater intensity. We've been proven just as susceptible to the influences of the world and the spirit of error. We don't rest upon feelings of superiority, do we? We're not caught up in the pride of being Protestant Reformed, are we? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we engage in holding fast the treasure Thou hast given us, even contending for the faith over against all the assaults of the evil one, we know that we cannot stand in our own strength. We stand upon Thy word of truth, anointed by Thy Spirit to discern in the light of Thy word, We stand also upon the shoulders of those who've gone before us, our spiritual forefathers, used by thee to fight the same battles to the honor and glory of thy name. Give us thy grace to be faithful. For Jesus' sake, amen.